I really, I really like the, the fact that God's, God's spirit never rests, you know, and he's always speaking to us. Um, and I think the coolest thing, too, you know, is I was reading this, you know, God of war, just serious, serious stuff, right? And there's Rick's back there with soft music. <laughs> but it, it, I don't know if you guys remember how we ended last week, but I told you that it was like, I was a little bit uncomfortable, like, okay, let me read you this, and then I'll, I'll bring you back to where we were last week. See, okay, I'm in, I'm in chapter eight. This is not in my notes, so this is, this is for free. Um, it's chapter eight, verses 16, 17. It says, then the Jews, oh, first off, Mordecai's, all his, his word went out, right? His, his, uh, his plan has been, has been established. Um, and so then verse 16 says, the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every providence, in every city where the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday, and many of the Jews of the land became Jews because of the fear of the Jews fell on them. And so I told you, I was a little bit uncomfortable, like as a military guy, okay, the plan's out there, let's start sharpening our swords, let's start like getting our shields fixed up, right? And, but these guys are like, hey, it's time to party. And I think quite honestly, it's like, like Rick said, you know, when the Lord fights for you, you can be at peace. And I think that's, that it's kind of a good, kind of gets us up to speed with where we're going to start in tonight because we're going to, the Lord's going to go to war tonight. And um, uh, I'm going to start with just a little review, hence the t-shirt. Oh, yeah, that's not us. No, that's not us. You're going to fix that, right? Yeah, no, that's not where we're at tonight. No, we'll fix that. Thanks. Thanks, John. Hopefully we can find it. Um, no, we're in Esther. We're going to get through Esther 9 and 10. Um, and the name of it, when it comes up there, will be um, Purim, to remember the future. Purim, to remember the future. Okay? And so let's go, let's do a little review, because um, I don't know about you, but I love Israel. I love the way Israel fights. I really do. Um, I, I had the, the honor of, um, I think it was a red flag or maybe two red flags I went to down in Nellis Air Force Base in, in Israel. Israeli fighters came. And they just are awesome. They are awesome. If you've ever had a chance uh, in the military to work with those guys, par excellence. Okay? And so let's look at some of the, the recent wars. I'm going to go over four major wars um, that Israel has fought. And I'm not going to count the skirmishes into Lebanon or into Gaza. I'm going to talk about the, what I count as four, the four major wars. Um, the first one is the War of Independence. Okay? Uh, and, and it depends on what, what history book you look. It's a year and a half to two years long. It's, it's, um, it's when basically they were born and then everybody attacked. And you have to understand this, the IDF, was actually born in that war. They went into that war without an army, without an air force, without a navy. And out of that first war, um, these, this was born. The IDF was born. Can you imagine that? Let's see, there was... Uh, five invading Arab nations, all complete with armies and air forces, well-trained. And who won? Israel. God, I like that. God. That's good. You're one of my better students. Yeah. Okay, so that's the first war. Okay, so that's, that's, a, 47, that's a war of independence. Um, second war, and this is kind of a funny one for me. I, f I find humor in the weirdest things. Okay, it's, it's the Suez Crisis, 1956. 
And so Nasser, next door in Egypt, had basically nationalized the Suez Canal and says, hey, it's mine. Okay, and you have to understand, if you know your history, the British and the French had kind of laid dibs to it. Uh, it's not theirs, but they built it and they took, took over it and, and they didn't like the way Egypt ran it, but, but Nasser said, go away. And so uh, Britain, France, and Israel attacked um, and took it, took it back. And so um, in the Suez crisis, it lasted all of 100 hours. Egypt fell in 100 hours. It, it didn't take long. There's the, uh, the humor of this is um, later on, the very next war, I'm going to go over the Six-Day War. Nasser points back to that Suez crisis and says, hey, we're going into war with these guys again because we weren't ready last time. <laughs> okay, so that was a 100-hour 100, 100 war. What's the next war? Six-day war. <laughs> we're going to fight them again because we weren't ready last time. We can at least last six days. Come on, 100 hours. Gee, many crickets. Yeah. Um, and, and, and by the end, the United States, and this is where, how this is, if you ever wondered how the United States got into the Middle East uh, uh, affairs, it was because of that war. We, t we were so afraid with the Cold War that the Allies, we were going to lose Egypt or whatever, um, and, and the world was going to turn against us, that we and the USSR said, Egypt, uh, uh, Egypt you can have it back. Um, Britain, Israel, France, go home, get out of there. So they had to give it back. That was, that was the Suez Crisis. Next one, as I alluded to, um, was the Six-Day six six day War. Three Arab nations attacked. But there was also, um, let's see, how many? One, two, three, four, five. Five Arab nations had contributed troops. So even though it was three, there was actually eight nations involved. Um, and that was a Six-Day War. That lasted a long time, right? Yeah. Um, the kill ratio on that, and I know that's probably a bad thing to be talking about in church, a kill ratio, but it was 20 to 1. 20 Arabs to one Israeli. R really pretty good odds. Almost makes you think maybe somebody else was fighting on their behalf. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, and so in the end of the Six-Day War, they got the West Bank, Golan Heights, and the Sinai Peninsula. Um, and the last war, um, which, was, which was waged against them, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur War, um, it was a little, little tougher fight for them. This was Egypt and Syria. Um, they attacked on Yom Kippur, which is in Leviticus um, 23, and it talks about what a, the Day of Atonement. It's a Day of Atonement, and that's when their neighbors attacked on the Day of Atonement. Um, and in the, in the end, it was a draw. But it, it's interesting, too, if you... Um, the Internet's an interesting place because if you go there um, and you look at these wars, um, they don't want to give you information. I had to go to an Israeli site. There's a whole bunch of sites out there, but I, I, I kept getting all this kind of bias-skewed stuff. The Arabs don't want to admit that they lost. And it's a very interesting, the internet's an interesting place. But um, they were victorious in all of them. In overwhelming odds, they were victorious in all their modern-day wars. Now, why is that? Why is that? Um, and, and, and if you read some history textbooks they'll tell you they fought so well because their back was against the wall and it was it was you know fight hard or die um i i, I disagree with um, i think there's another reason and i and i've already alluded to it and that is that god is fighting their battles for them and that's what we're going to talk about tonight 
We're going to talk about that. And I think that goes right back to the whole thing we were talking about with the soft music is that we can be at peace when God fights our battles. Amen? Amen. Okay, so, um, and I have to confess to you too. Uh, I already told Rick I would give him all the confessions because while he was gone, I had all those theories. Remember all those theories? I'm going to confess them all tonight. I got two more though. So I'm not done. But um, we're, when, I first, when I first read this, this, these two chapters here, um, well, first off, I, you know, maybe you have a tough time. Esther, the, God's not mentioned in Esther, right? And so you're like, this is a book in the Bible. God's not mentioned. Yet we've, we've, if you've been through this study with me, God's in it the whole time. I had a tough time with this chapter, chapter 9 initially when I read it. Because here's Mordecai institutionalizing a festival and God's not mentioned. Do we need another religious holiday that God's not in? Really? You know what I mean? And so I was upset with Mordecai. Mordecai, how dare you? We don't need this. But wait, it's good. It's good. I, and, 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 and tonight, um, matter of fact, let me read the very first. Let's go to the very first verse. Ready for the very first verse? I'm going to get one, two, three. I'm going to get five words in. Ready? Now in the 12th month. Okay, so when is this whole thing has been boiling up and boiling up and boiling up. You know, this whole, the crescendo, whatever you want to call it. And it's the 12th month. It's the end of the year. It's perhaps the end of time. I'm gonna. My, my, I'm, I'm kind of letting the cow in the bag a little earlier, but I, I have. And I was talking to Joel about this. I have a sense that this is a prophetic book we're in. Okay, I'm gonna float that past you. We'll see. We'll see if he's like. I don't know if he bites off on it or not. But we'll see. Yeah. So here we go. And I, the first time I, I tell you too, I'm, I'm not gonna give you my full theory until the end. But we'll go through it as 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 the events happen, and we'll look at them and and, to, and, and um, examine them verse by verse as we go through this. Um, and I'll talk to you about um, why I think this is a prophetic book. Now in the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, on the 13th day, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed on the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred and that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hate them. So did you, did you see what happened here? This is an upset. This is a major upset. This was the underdog um, beating, you know, the, the expected winner. And I don't, I don't keep up with sports. I quit on sports, especially the NFL. I quit on them when they, when they went woke. I don't watch them. So I couldn't make this into a sport analogy if I wanted to. I don't even know, like I know the basketball, March Madness. I have no idea. But wasn't there like some underling team that was going? St. Pete. St. Pete? Yeah, this is like St. Pete. Yeah, that's the best I can do. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's a power here. And there's a power here. We've got to keep in mind, God's not mentioned in Esther, right? So there's a power here. We can't mention, well, we can't. Uh, the author doesn't mention God, right? But there's a power here. And you know the cool part is we have that power. We have that power that's here. I'll give you an Old Testament verse and a New Testament verse about that power. Um, 
Because there's, there's, it says there in verse 1, there was an overpowering. Okay, well, Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, Those who wait on the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings with, like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Um, they shall walk and not faint. Here's a New Testament one. Ephesians 3, 16 uh, through 20 says, um, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Amen? There's overpo- that overpowering power that was here in verse 1 resides in you. If, you. if you know Jesus as your Lord, if you've been born again, you have that power in here. The, paddle that, the power that goes to battle, you have. And we need that. We need that because we all face battles. Right? We talked about that last week, some battles. We're all, we're kind of run through in, in life. Um, verse 2. The Jews gathered together in their cities throughout the provinces of the king, Ahasuerus, uh, the king Ahasuerus, to lay, to lay uh, hands on those who sought his, their harm, and no one could withstand them because fear of them fell upon all people. And all the officials of the providence, the satraps, the governors, and all those doing the king's work helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them. For Mordecai was great in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the providences. For for this man, Mordecai, became increasingly prominent. Thus the Jews defeated all their enemies with the stroke of the sword, with slaughter and destruction, and did what they pleased with those who hated them. Okay, so no one could withstand them. No one could withstand them. Why? Were they fierce? Were they great numbers? Okay. Were they really good at, you know, throwing stones and hitting their enemy right here in the forehead? No, there's something going on here. They overpowered them. Nobody could withstand them. And did you see what what it was? And go back to how we ended the last chapter. Were they sharpening their swords? Were they getting ready? You know, they're putting their best marching boots on and they're ready to go fighting with their armor? No, these guys were having a party. Okay, but somehow they were overpowering their enemies and somehow their enemies were afraid of them. It doesn't add up, guys. It doesn't add up, okay? It doesn't add up to me. And, and so, but fear fell upon them. Well, what's interesting Okay, so if we go back to Amalek and the Malachites, when they attacked Israel, guess what was missing? Deuteronomy 25, 17 through 18. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Malak didn't fear God. That was missing. When Malak attacked the Israelites, fear was missing. 
But now that they're on the offensive, guess what's there? Fear. There's fear. Um, and even if you, if you go back in Esther and you look in Esther, um, fear was there when they were getting ready. Those verses I just read to you, the end of the other chapter, fear was already there and they're partying. There's this supernatural fear existing right now in this story that's not of them. It's not of us. I'll continue. Um, yeah, then there's also, <clears throat> excuse me, the fear of Mordecai fell upon them as well. And these are the government folks. The government folks were scared of Mordecai. I don't know why. But something about him, something about him was fearful. Um, and so, and I told you last week too, I, I read it as a, as a military guy would read a message. You know, as a message, you have two and you have infoes. And, and, and I told you last week that the message was to the Jews, info, and he goes through all the different layers of the government. We talked about that last week. And so they did not have to participate. They were infoes on the message. They were not, they didn't have it for action. They had it as an info, Okay. Here we just found out because they're so scared of Mordecai, they participated. They didn't have to. They did. All right? So they're, that's, that's, um, they're there to, to help the Jews. Um, and, and that was a question I had. Why are they helping the Jews? They're going to get a blessing out of it, but I, why are they helping the Jews? There's this fear. Well, you come back to it is, um, I honestly think because Esther does not, the book of Esther does not mention God. This is the fear of God. This is the fear of God. And there's a couple examples that are, are very interesting from the Old Testament on the fear of God with, with regards to Israel fighting battles. The first one's in Deuteronomy 20, verse 4. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against all your enemies to save you. So, so when Israel goes to war, um, God is with them. Make sense? Okay, now here's, here's, here's where the fear of God, I think, comes in. Chronicles 20, verse 29. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So, so the people who are fighting Israel are aware that God is fighting for them, and fear comes into the equation. Fear comes into the battle. And so it's kind of like, um, um, I, I, I almost wondered, you know, where... Were the Jews aware that it was God fighting for them? There's, there's a, there's, it ends, um, verse 5, ends kind of awkward, I thought. They did what they pleased with those who hated them. And that kind of sounds like, that doesn't sound right. But the intention of that verse is they could beat them any way they wanted to beat them. You know, hey, let's try this tactic. Oh, that worked great. Well, let's try this tactic. Oh, that worked great. Okay, you, 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 you never fought. Why don't you go lead? Oh, look it. When he leads, we've, we're doing great. We can do whatever we want. We can beat these guys. They could beat them. And it, I wonder if it sunk into them. Were they aware of like, guys, we have a really unfair advantage. I don't know what we're doing, but with anything we try, we can have our way with them. And, and, and I hope it sunk in. I don't know that it did. But it's kind of cool. I say that word kind of too much, don't I? Kind of, yeah. Kind of say that too much. Verse 6. And Shushan the citadel, some of your verses may say the capital. I think capital is more correct. 
Mine says Citadel, but it's, it should be Capital. In Shoshan, the Capital, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. Also, in their uh, push, okay, I'm going to do my best, guys. Parshandatha, Dathan, Aspatha, Paratha, Adala, Aradatha, Parmashta, Arishi, Aradai, uh, Vajanzatha, and the ten sons, the ten sons of Ham, Haman, um, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, they killed, but they did not lay a hand to plunder. Okay, so these are the ten sons of Haman. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big guy of like, okay, there's names. These names are there. There's a reason for these names. And I went through all the names, and I looked up all their definitions, both Persian and Hebrew, and guess what? There's nothing there. There's nothing there. And I think the funniest one is one of them is called, one of the guys is, um, he must have had a problem when he was first born because his name means sprinkling the chamber, you know? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, God, what do you got these names in here for? What is it, you know, there's no significance to the meaning of the names, okay? But, but Haman had 10 sons and 10 sons were killed. Now there's, um, uh, there's some, some, a lot of people say, okay, the 10, there's a reason behind the 10. I don't know. I have, I have um, um, Anastasia Romanoff. You ever heard the name Anastasia Romanoff? It's kind of an interesting fable um, that's, uh, that goes around, and this is history hat coming back on here. Um, the, the Romanoffs, the last czar was killed um, by the communists in Russia. And all of his family were with him, and they were taken down the cellar, and they were all shot and killed. Well, legends say that Anastasia um, lived. And so there's, there's these urban legends that she's, she's lived on. And part of the reason is, is because they took the, the family out in the woods and buried them, and they didn't physically take pictures, or if they did, they haven't, they, they're somewhere in the Kremlin somewhere. Um, they didn't take pictures and, and keep them and say, look it, here's our dead bodies. Um, but... Here we have all 10 accounted for. We have all 10 accounted for. I, part of me thinks it's the Anastasia theory, trying to show that they're all there. And, and we'll, we'll get, we'll, I'll further show that here in a little bit. Um, interesting, they did not want to, the Jews didn't want to lay hands on the plunder. Now, perhaps it was unclean, or perhaps it speaks more to the motivation but there's going to be fallout from this because if you think back to Haman, Haman initially when he was selling this to, to Xerxes, he was saying, hey guys, or hey Xerxes, hey king, you're going to be my king. He says, hey, um, this is going to be pretty expensive and I tell you what, um, we'll use some of the plunder to pay for it. And Xerxes turns around and says, ah, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry about that. We got it, we got it covered. But they're not taking in the plunder. So that's going to probably, it's going to, I think it's going to factor into the cost of this. Um, and so wh why they didn't do it, whether it was part of their motivation, they, were, they weren't there for, that, that's typically how armies got paid in, in, in this time. You know, throughout, the, throughout time, we paid armies via plunder. And so here they are not getting paid for this. They're not, they're not in it for profit, okay? Let's see what we got here. We got the right one up there? Yeah, cool. All right. Verse 11, on that day, the number of those who were killed in Shishan, the citadel, uh, was brought to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in Shishan, the citadel, and the 10 sons of Haman. What have they done in the rest of the king's providences? Now what is, now what is your petition? 
It shall be granted to you. And what is your further request? There's those two things. He always does that. It shall be done. Then Esther said, if it pleases the king, let it be granted to the Jews that are in Shashan um, to do again tomorrow according to today's decree and let Haman's ten sons be hanged on the gallows. So the king <clears throat> commanded this to be done. The decree was issued in Shashan and they hanged Haman's ten sons. Okay. So what is your petition? Your petition, I would like another day, please. Another day. Okay. And so here's, I, I told you, one of the theories I floated out a few weeks ago is I think she had a check in her spirit. Esther's got a check in her spirit. We're not done yet. The job's not done. Now keep in mind uh, a couple things here. Um, she lives there. You know, I, I used to love this when Trump said this, you know, we got we to gotta get, get rid of the alligators in the swamp, right? And I think she still knew there was alligators in the swamp. You know, and she, I honestly, I'm, this is one of my theories too, if this is, this is, this is, this is blotting out the Amalekites. This is the fulfilling of what God had commanded Israel to do. This is fulfilling, and she knew, she had a check in her spirit, because you remember she asked for an extra day last time too, and my theory was because she had a check in her spirit. She knew something wasn't right. So she asked for another day in the capital, okay? Um, and, and to keep in mind, this is, not, this is not unusual. Joshua asked for an extra day, remember that? Made the sun stand still. That's in, that's in uh, Joshua 10, 12, you want to go look at that. Um, but I honestly think she was, she was, she was there to fulfill its, um, God's command to blot them out. That's Deuteronomy 25, 19. I think that's why she was asking this. Now, what can I do for you? That was the request. She wants to display the dead ten sons of Haman. And if you remember, I told you, even though your, your Bible may say hang, they piked them. They, they piked them up on pikes. And so they're up there for display. This was literally taking dead bodies and going, putting them around town and basically putting them on display. It sounds morbid. It really does. But it sends a message. Um, first off, it's going to prove that they're dead. They're all accounted for. Nobody can go along and say, you know, the whole Anastasia thing, hey, um, the guy, the sprinkler, the chamber sprinkler, he's still alive. I don't see him up there. You know what I mean? They could have said that. But they, anybody can look around. And it was interesting because um, a, a news story, um, why I was studying this, had come up. And, and um, I'll read you the news story. But it's out of Afghanistan. The Taliban do this exact same thing. And so I'll read you the story about it, but pay attention to the very last sentence, the very last sentence. The Taliban guy says why they do this. All right, so here's a story. This is a story out of Kabul, Afghanistan. Um, the, the Taliban hanged a dead body from a crane parked in the city square in Afghanistan on Saturday in a gruesome display that signaled the hardline movement's return to some of its brutal tactics um, of the past. Taliban officials initially brought four bodies to the center square uh, in the western city of Herat, then moved three of them to other parts of the city for public display, so said Wazir Ahmad Zadi, who runs a pharmacy at the edge of the square. Taliban officials announced that the four were caught taking part of kidnapping earlier Saturday and were killed by police. Um, a uh, Zahao Jali, a Taliban-appointed district police chief in Herat, um, said later that Taliban members rescued a father and son who had been abducted by the four kidnappers after an exchange of gunfire. He said a Taliban fighter and a civilian were wounded uh, by the kidnappers and that the kidnappers were killed in the crossfire. 
An Associate Press video showed crowds gathering around the crane, peering up at the body as some men chanted. A Taliban commander who did not identify himself told the AP in an on-camera interview conducted in the square. Ready? This is why they did it. The aim of this action is to alert all criminals that they are not safe. And so I think there was part of this was a warning. She wanted another day. And oh, by the way, she's, gonna, she's given them a warning. You're not safe. We're coming for you. Okay? Verse 15. And the Jews who were in Shashan gathered together again on the 14th day of the month of Adar and killed 300 men in Shashan, um, but they did not lay a hand on plunder. The, re- the remainder of the Jews uh, in the king's providences gathered together and protected their lives, uh, had rest from their enemies, and killed 75,000 of their enemies, but they did not lay a hand on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th of the month they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. So on the 13th day they killed 500. Um, on the 14th day, this is in the capital, they kill 300, and what basically amounts to, they'd only killed two-thirds of, the, of, of their enemies on the first day, and it was right to come back. Because if you remember, um, Haman was an Agagite. An Agagite. Aga, Agag was the, a king, was the king that Saul didn't kill. Um, and he ended up having an offspring, and that's how the Agagites come through him. And, um, and so through one person, you know, through, through the life of one person living, we ended up in the, the scenario that we were in now with Haman. And so here we are, we, we had a third of these folks still running around in the capital. So um, it, was, it was the right thing to do. Um, still no plunder. Still no plunder. So I'm going to tell you, at some point in time, somebody's going to have to pay for this. I don't know if you guys know this, but in war, people break things. They do. I don't know if any of you guys are watching what's going on in the Ukraine, but they break, they're breaking things over there. And at the end of this war, even if it's this two-day war, things are going to have to be paid for, and nobody's taken plunder. Okay? Verse 18. But the Jews who were at Shashan assembled together on the 13th day as well as the 14th day, and on the 15th of the month they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Um, therefore, the Jews of the villages who dwelt in unwalled towns celebrated on the 14th day of the month with gladness and feasting as a holiday and for sending presents to one another. Okay? Um, and so there's this, we, once again, we have this gladness. Makes sense. You just won a war. Your enemy's been defeated in feasting. Um, and I have to, um, my Bible says sending presents. The correct word is portions. They're sending portions. It's, it's presents, but it's presents of food, if you want to if you, if you say that more correctly. And, and it makes sense, too, that if, you know, if there's feasting, um, we don't want anybody hungry because, you know, hey, in the destruction of that battle we just fought, your kitchen got destroyed. Hey, let's just share some food. There's a little koinonia going on there. Um, or potluck would be better, I guess. Um, and so the, there's a distinction here, too, about unwalled towns are celebrating on the 14th and the walled towns, as the ca- such as the capital, on the 15th. And so that's a, an interesting little side note there. Verse 20. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were, 
who were in all the provinces of the king, Ahasuerus, to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly on the 14th and the 15th days of the month of Adar, as the days on which the Jews had rest from their enemies, as the month which, the, which was turned from sorrow to joy for them, and from mourning to a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and joy, and of sending presents to one another, and gifts to the poor. So the Jews, ex- <clears throat> Jews accepted uh, the custom which had begun as Mordecai had written to them, because Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and had cast purr, that is the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by, by letter that this wicked plot that Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head uh, and that he and his sons should be hanged in the gallows. So I don't know if you're catching what, what, what uh, Mordecai did, but all he did was he institutionalized that which happened. There's, there's one thing that's in there that, um, that I don't quite understand, but all he did was everything that's happened, now let's make this institutionalized. Let's do this. Okay? You with me so far? There's one thing in there that doesn't make sense. Okay, okay the 14th and 15th, those are the battle days. Hey, that's exactly the way it happened. No big deal. Um, Feasting and joy, he's institutionalizing that, no big deal, that's the way it happened. Um, presents or portions, sending portions, no big deal. But there's one thing in there that kind of was, kind of stumped me, and I don't necessarily have an answer for it, but gifts to the poor, gifts to the poor. There's nothing said in Esther earlier that that happened, yet he institutionalized this. And the only thing, I, my, my best guess, if you go back to Esther, Esther, was it 2 verses 18? You go back there and look at it. When the king put Esther as a queen, guess what he did to the whole empire? He gave gifts. So I don't know if that's kind of a throwback to honor Esther. I'm not certain. But there's, this is the one thing that, that Mordecai institutionalizes that's not didn't actually happen. But all he did was say, okay, okay I'm taking notes. That happened, okay. Oh, that happened, okay. That happened, okay. That's what we're going to do from now on, guys. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do that. And now you can see where I'm scratching my head before going like, okay, what do we do this for? What's, this, what's with this? Hang with me. Verse 26. So they called these days Purim. And I think you roll your R's. And I'm not very good at rolling R's. Purim, like that. How's that? Impress all your friends. Um, um, so they called these days Purim after the name Pur. Um, therefore, because of all the words of this letter... Um, what they had seen concerning this matter and what had, had happened to them, the Jews established and imposed it upon themselves and their descendants and all who would join them, that without fail they should celebrate these two days every year according to the, the written instructions and according to the prescribed time, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation. Every family, every providence, and every city, these days of Purim um, should not fail to be observed among the Jews, and that the memory of them should not perish among their descendants. Um, then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, with, with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm the second letter about Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews to 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus with words of peace and truth to confirm these days of Purim and their appointed time as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had prescribed for them. And as they had decreed for themselves and their descendants concerning matters of their fasting and lamenting, 
That's new. So the decree of Esther confirmed these matters of Purim and um, as it was written in the book. So, so they're, they're, they're establishing um, a, um, a tradition. Tradition, tradition. Anyways, sorry, fiddler on the roof. It's stuck in there somewhere. What we got going on here? Fall off. Um, so um, they, he's establishing this tradition, and it's, on, it's for the Jews, but there's also and all who would join them. So there's, there's guests allowed in this. Other folks that might join the Jews are allowed to celebrate this. Um, and it's, and it's, it's celebrated today exactly like that. It's still celebrated. And in, in when I was, I, was, I was asking Rick if they'd bumped into anybody while they were over there, because it was March 16th and 17th while they were there, but they were off Galilee, you said? So they weren't, they weren't anywhere, which they could have been celebrating over there, but they didn't run into anybody celebrating it, but they still celebrate it to this day, just like they did back then. And so it's, it's been kept, okay? Now there's, there's a mention of a second letter in, in verse 29. There's a second letter. And Esther is basically inserting something that happened that Mordecai didn't institutionalize, and that's the fasting and lamenting. Um, and so, in the way it's celebrated today, the fasting and lamenting happens on the 13th, and then the 14th and the 15th are the, are the days that they celebrate Purim. Now, interesting too, um, the, the lamenting, lamenting is a deep sorrow. It almost reminds me of repentance. There's a repentance, there's a, there's a crying out to the Lord that takes place on the 13th. There's, there's, there's that fear that we're going to die on the 13th. You know, and, then, and then the battle turns uh, on, on the other two days. Okay? And, so, um, and so she introduces that, and then he sends out a whole second set of letters that inter- basically throws that in there with them, the fasting and lamenting. So we've now institutionalized the festival of Purim. The festival of Purim, and I'll talk about that in a second. Chapter 10. And King Ahasuerus imposed tribute on the land and on the islands of the sea. Um, now all the acts of, the, of his power and his might, and the account of his greatness of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second to King Ahasuerus, and was great among the Jews, and well received by the multitude of, of his brethren, seeking the good of his people, and speaking peace to all his country. So he imposes tribute. The king imposes tribute. He imposes a tax. Well, um, perhaps it was to offset um, all the damages that were done because no um, um, plunder. There we go. Thank you. No plunder was taken. And oh, by the way, remember I told you the infoes in the message, they didn't, the, all the, the satraps and the governors and, and all the local princes, they did not have to do this, but they did this because of fear of Mordecai. Um, that has, has to be paid for. And I think that's what's, what's being basically, the, you know, the, um, the, the bills are being paid here. The bills are being paid for what was done, okay? Um, so here's where I come to my confession. Ready for my confession? While you, and I, I have to, I want to thank you guys. Nobody has, has, you know, you know, grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and said, Jim, you got a whole bunch of theories. I don't know if I like all your theories. Because I've, I have, I counted them up. I was like, ooh, I've floated six on you. Did you notice that? 
Here's six of them. Okay, first one I floated on you guys is that Esther had a spiritual gift of beauty. Remember Esther 2.15? She found favor with all who saw her. You remember that? And I just, that's, that's, that's my theory. I, that's a, that, I, remember, I, I remember if you were here, I wrestled with calling it a superpower. And then I said, I think it's a gift. I think it's a gift. Um, here's another one. I, 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 another one of my theories is Mordecai, um, he, wherever he positioned himself, he was positioning himself there to pray. Sometimes he was outside the king's gate. Sometimes he was at the front of the palace. He was positioning himself wherever he needed to pray. That was a theory that I floated on you. Um, here's another one. Uh, Hatach. I told you he was a king. I floated the idea that he was a king spy, right? Because the king seemed to have some knowledge. And Hatach worked for the king. He was the king's eunuch. And he actually, the king sent him to take care of Esther. Now you're Esther. Yeah. And so... Um, and so, it, 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 to me, it makes sense. It makes sense that, you know, his, his loyalty is to the king. The king said, hey, go watch the queen. The queen's talking to Mordecai, who's a Jew. And so he knows all this stuff. Now, suddenly, the king's losing his sleep and reading the, chron- the book of Chronicles late at night. Why is he reading the book of Chronicles? Maybe he had some insight. That was another uh, thing I floated on you. I floated one on you, too, with Esther possibly being pregnant. There were a couple of verses. There was Esther... Uh, 4.14 and Esther 7.4. There's a couple verses where it just kind of, she makes that comment. They're like, hey, if we'd have gone off to be slaves, no big deal. But if we were to die, it would be the king's loss. Remember that? There was something about her dying was going to directly affect the king. Um, and so, and then I'll, I'll also, my, my, one of my last ones is that this is the, this is the blotting out of the Amalekites. The, the book of Esther is is the fulfillment of blotting out the Amalekites. Okay? So ready for the last one? So I got two more that I'm going to float on you. First one is feasts versus festivals. Feasts versus festivals. Because this is a festival. There are feasts, and I'll go through them with you, and there are festivals. There's only two festivals. And I, I could be wrong on that. Somebody correct me by all means. But I'm going to float this out on you out there, and you just... Check in with the Lord and, and see what you think. So here's the feasts. Now the feasts are meant, these are mosaic feasts. They're meant to celebrate God, remember what God has done, but they also point to Jesus. The feasts celebrate God, what he has done, but they point to Jesus. Okay, here's the, here's the feast. Um, we got Sabbath. Um, it's a day to rest. And guess where we get our most of our rest? In Jesus. Okay, Passover. Um, sacrificing the lamb. What was Jesus? The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You with me? Okay. There's harvest feasts. There's three harvest feasts. Uh, first, there's the, the first fruits, which is the, the barley harvest. Um, and that's Jesus' resurrection. Um, there's the weeks or Pentecost, which is the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Um, and that's when we, we've, got, we've got Pentecost and we've got Jesus uh, ascending into the clouds. Um, the the uh, peace, the feast of uh, is it Sukkot? Is that Tabernacles? Okay, and so um, that's Jesus' birth. Jesus came and lived amongst us. Among us. Okay, those are the harvest feasts. Then you've got the feast of unleavened bread um, when they were taken out of bondage, and that's also um, Jesus' sinlessness. There's the feast of trumpets. Okay, 
for the Jewish New Year. But, and, and some people think that's when Jesus is going to return on the Feast of Trumpets. Um, and then there's the Feast of Atonement covering um, the sins of Israel, and that's Jesus' crucifixion. So you, you with me on all the feasts? Okay, let's go to the festivals. There's only two festivals. Okay, and here's a theory I'm going to float on you. The festivals are for the end times. The festivals are for the end times. The feasts get us basically to the tribulation, and the festivals get us in the tribulation. Tribulation. Okay, so one of them, there's two festivals. One of them, Purim, I'll save that one for last. But Hanukkah, I can say that. Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the um, cleansing of the temple after Antiochus, okay? Guess what's going to happen after the Antichrist um, makes a mess in the temple? It's going to be cleansed. Hanukkah. Make sense? Okay, Purim. Um, I think Purim is basically uh, um, Armageddon. It's that idea that the Jews are about to be wiped out. Okay? And I'm going to read you. I'm going to read you out of Ezekiel. And you're going to go like, whoa. That's pretty close. That's pretty close. And, um, and they thought, you know, there's, there's the, like, like Esther. And I apologize if I say Ruth from, Ruth from time to time. I know I do that. I always put Ruth in place of Esther. But there's that point where Esther is spending those three days, you know, of lamenting and crying out to the Lord. When you see these forces coming down on Israel uh, for Armageddon, I'm sure there's going to be some crying out um, to the Lord. And oh, by the way, who's going to fight that battle? Is Israel going to fight that battle? Uh-uh. Who's fighting that battle? God is. Yeah. So that's my that's my um, my 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 idea with Purim. Let me let me um, let me go to. Let's go read about Armageddon. Ezekiel. Ezekiel 38, verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, On that day it shall come to pass that, the thoughts, uh, that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. He's, he's speaking to Gog and Magog, by the way. Um, um, you, you will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. Hmm, sound familiar? Unwalled villages? Anyways, I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates to take plunder and to take booty. What was Haman's plan? To plunder them to pay for it. To stretch out your hand against the waste places that, were again, that are again inhabited and against the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell in the midst of the land, Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all the young lions will say to you, have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods? And to take great plunder? Therefore, son, son of man, prophesy and say to God, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many people with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover them cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me. When I am hollowed in you, O God, before their eyes, thus says the Lord God, are, are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days um, that I would bring you against them? And it will come to pass at that same time when God comes against the land of Israel, says the Lord God, 
that my fury will show in my face. Remember that fear? That fear that, the fear that God is fighting? My fury will show in my face. Skipping down to verse 23. Then I will magnify, magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. They shall know that I am the Lord. And so there's this battle that takes place at the end of time that very, very much reminds me of the battle in Esther and, and the fear that was seen amongst the people who were fighting against Israel. This fear is going to be realized by Gog and Magog big time when they experience the wrath of God. And this is going to cause a huge, huge revival. You know, when all the, when all the world sees this and they know that I am the Lord. Pretty cool. And which is, which is interesting, if this is true with Purim, then, then think about this, okay? Israel has a timeline. Imagine that too, that if every year, and I heard, and I was reading a story too, because when it was celebrated, um, I, I, was, I was watching the news and stuff, and you actually mentioned this too, that hey, because we were actually, we were teaching on it on, in the middle of Purim, yeah. And um, it was interesting, because I was reading a story about the, uh, the Ukrainian Jews, and they were celebrating Purim, and they were like, oh, if we could only have relief from this war right now. And think about this too, if, if this is a prophetic book, that how cool will that be that as they are celebrating like the 13th day of Purim, and Gog and Magog are descending down, and then boom, it happens, and over a two-day two cycle, they're, they're defeated. Um, what will that do to the Jews? You think they're going to take that lightly? It goes back to that whole thing when they were fighting. When they were fighting and they saw this, this incredible victory, um, did it cause revival back then? Esther doesn't tell us because Esther doesn't mention God. But it's kind of an interesting theory. I'll float that one out for you. Um, and that's the last of my theories, by the way, too. You okay with those? All right. So here's, here's um, I'm going to, I'm going to, we'll close here in a little bit, but I'm going to give you my takeaways from Esther. Uh, and I'm going to close with, um, I found it was re really cool. There's a prayer that they, they pray at the end of Purim. Purim, I should say, like the, the real way. Uh, and I'm going to read that to you. That's how we're going to close today. I'm going to read you the, the prayer of Purim. And, and interesting to think of this with a, with a Jewish um, voice. When you listen to the words of the prayer, that they say at the end. Um, listen to this with a Jewish voice, you know, and, and which is kind of cool because we're the bride. I don't think we're going to be here, but there'll be, there'll be a revival here, okay? So anyways, here's my takeaways from the book of Esther. God uses us exactly where we are. Okay, we have to be at peace with wherever we are. And I'm, I'm telling you from a person who sometimes, not sometimes, often does not have peace with where God has him and is always looking for a way to get out of it. Lord, are you sure you want me here? I'm in the public school system. Have you been in the public school system? Okay. I, I, but the Lord says, for such a time as this, I need you there right now. Amen? Amen? So that's the first takeaway from the book of Esther. Wherever you are, that's where God has you. And that's where he needs you. Um, here's a, a second takeaway. God is always with his people. Okay? 
Um, Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Amen. God is always with you. And here's the last one too. And this is probably the hardest one to do, especially when you got an enemy coming down, is keep your eyes on the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Psalm 121, verses 1 2. I lift up my eyes to the hill. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And those are my three takeaways. I don't know if you, you guys, we, you, did you guys have music you wanted at the end? Or we, could we close with Purim? What do you want to do? With the prayer? Up to you. We have a song. It's your call. Okay. Well, he's coming up here. You, ready? you want to hear the, 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 the prayer? Okay, here we go. Now, think of, like I said, Think of this through Jewish eyes, through a Jewish mouth, through Jewish words, okay? And this is how they close Purim. Purim. Um, may it be acceptable before you. Hey, let's just close our eyes and pray. Let's, let's, let's join in this. How's that sound, okay? Here we go. Pray with me, if you will. May it be acceptable before you, the Lord our God and God of our ancestors, that you will, for the sake of your mercy and your love, and for the sake of the light and the sovereignty of the Father that is revealed today, have compassion on us and on all Israel, our brethren. Irradiate us with the great light of your face, the face of the living King, the King of life. Give us long life, good life, rectified life. Fill our hands with your blessings from the great wealth of your hands. Spread your Sukkot of your shalom over us. Rectify us with good counsel. Bless us in all Israel with shalom, goodness, blessing, grace, love, mercy. Bless us all, our Father, as one in the light of your face, compassionate one. All our lacks and needs are revealed and known before you. Behold, the time is right for you to redeem us, to grace us, to have compassion on us in the fullness of your mercy and the infiniteness of your love. Truly you are gracious and compassionate and your way is to bestow your love freely. You therefore act charitably towards all flesh and spirit. O good one, don't ever let your mercies fail us. O compassionate one, never stop showering us with your love. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable before you, God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen.